Hey there, ghosties. Welcome back. This is episode 85 of the Ghost Lights podcast. Today, we sat down with Josh Robinson, a good man that I've had the fortune of working with on stage and being able to see perform multiple times. For me, he sets the example. Uh, We talked in great detail about what type of hard work it takes to make a career in this business and the passion that you need to have for it. I hope you enjoy this episode. And I hope you will come back for episode 86 coming very soon. But till then, Dan, give us war by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. Welcome back to the Ghost Lights Podcast. This is your host, Sam Gilstrap. That name's got a ring to it like a wedding vow. And I'm in the mood because I I just had a... Anyway, yeah. Um, this is episode 85. I've got a bottle of Russell Reserve Kentucky Straight Rye Whiskey. Aged for six years. It's very sweet. Doesn't need an ice cube. So if you see it, it's got a good price point. I think it's like 45 not bad at all. And more important than what I'm pouring into my mouth is my guest tonight, Josh Robinson, everybody. Hi, Josh. Hey, hey. How the heck are you? I'm great. I'm great. Glad to finally get to be here with you. Oh, this is, this is a long time coming. I often <laughs> say that to all of my guests, but it's always true i feel like i start talking to people about like a year before i ever get them on and i'm i've definitely been doing crossing that path with you so we recently bumped into each other again after you wrapped up or a performance of american sun at curious theater i was I didn't know what I was getting into because I didn't know the play on Netflix. But as soon as the play started, I've, I've seen this news report before. What is the journey like for you during that process? Well, I, I think I probably started with the same reaction reading it that a lot of people had when they see that play, which is, you, you reach the end of it and you're just stunned. There's this mm. moment of what that just happened. I mean, some, and I, t- I, I'm willing to say that, you know, that's the white dude's perspective on this. I think there are some people who are like, well, how else was it going to turn out? Right. But I was, I was in tears. Mm. Um, and so anything that moves me that much, I'm really interested in. So I, I emailed, uh, Jada, um, who was the director right away and was like, I'd really like to read for this thing. Um, and, you know, ultimately was really pleased with the way that journey works. It's, it's an, as an actor, you know, I can't hold on to that same sort of audience reaction. That's not my job. I have to, I have to fulfill the play. So even though I know the beginning, end of the play, I can't know the end of the play. And And what we realized over the course of, of running that show is, you know, Jada's character starts to suspect what the horrible outcome is, but we were like, that just can't enter 
Scott, her husband's worldview, period. Mm. It's like it's not a possible outcome for until until he gets the news because, you know, that's the white man privilege. Right. Yeah. So that was the that was what we ended up with. And I thought it, I thought it worked pretty well and was sort of staggering. Um, mm. So I, I was really proud of that show. I think we got a lot of stuff right. And I think our production was value added um, in a lot of really good ways. Um, Sean Scrutchens was wonderful. Jada was great. I thought Abner uh, was terrific. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoyed that very much. I had a student come see it. And after the show, she was like, are you all right? I was like, what do you mean? Am I all right? It was like, well, you just got tackled to the ground. I'm like, oh, you mean the stage combat fall? Yeah, I'm good. We we practiced that, but but thanks. Never break kayfabe. Come on, you got to be like, oh no, I'm I'll be all right. I'm, I'll be, be all right. right. No, no. Oh, my ribs. No. Oh. Yeah, no, I'm not. I, I I'm pretty straightforward and earnest as a person, so I'm not very good about no. about playing up things like that. That's a vibe I've definitely I've definitely caught from you. You're one of the more like grounded, like honest, good people I've I've gotten a chance to work with. You're always a square Thank shooter, you. straight shooter is the right word. So I'm well, I and a square. So I mean, I oh. see how you conflate those two. So thanks, <laughs> thanks very much. There, yeah, just L seven weenie. <laughs> nice little Sandlot reference for those of you at home. <laughs> when you see, you talk about like this play moved you so, I would say, urgently. Do you seek that out when you look at someone posting a season? And when the the work that you you choose to go for, or is that just like the ideal version of you what you want for yourself? I think I think it's the ideal, yeah. Sam. I mean, I think we live in a small enough market that the economic reality is, you want to be an actor, and so mm-hmm. pretty much most of the things that come down the pike, you're going to look at and go, yeah, I want to do that, and you know, you'll believe it in that moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, it's only afterwards that you go, well, yeah, I mean, that was a good paycheck or, <laughs> but it, you know, you do different things for different reasons. Some things are artistically fulfilling and some things, you know, are just commerce and they're a chance to, to try your trade. There was one of my favorite theaters to work at, um, you know, when I first moved to Denver 20 years ago was this place called Country Dinner Playhouse which was a dinner theater in South Denver and a little sort of arena stage. That was really fun because it was on hydraulics and the sec- act two entrance was always, you get up in the attic and then ride the stage down. That was really fun. Nice. But you know, the, the stuff they did there was mainstream musicals and every year there was one Agatha Christie murder mystery, right? That was the, that was the kind of theater. And so it wasn't, it wasn't about art. It was definitely commerce, but it was totally fun. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really great. So I, I like bouncing around and, and not working exclusively at one theater because you, you know, different theaters see you and f- for different, in different ways and you fulfill different needs for different theaters. So, you know, I, I have had the pleasure of working at, I think, all the places around here that offer an equity contract, and it's um, it's fun to investigate and to pioneer a new theater and a new company. Absolutely. Do you feel that you need to, as the commerce has changed to the theater market here, do you feel like there's a need for you to like transition away from equity, or is it that's where you're still focused on? Well, uh 
I mean, that's a that's a great question. I, I certainly think it's not like when I was in grad school when I got trained to be in a Shakespeare theater company, right? Which is 10 men, three women, probably of the 10 men, eight of them were going to be white dudes, right? Mm -hmm. That model doesn't exist anymore and it shouldn't. Mm -hmm. So are there fewer jobs than what I anticipated when I got trained? Yeah. Um, I don't know what to say. Like, I think the longer we hang around, um, the more people who know us, right? And as a guy, I'm sort of right at this age where uh, many actors I know and respect have sort of stopped trying to be an actor a lot of the time, partially because they can't remember the lines anymore. And they have massive moments of stage fright on stage because the lines just go away, right? And so I am trying desperately hard to hold on to that um, that capacity to memorize. And thankfully so far it has, um, stayed with me and I, I feel pretty confident about that actually. So, you know, I, I think there are fewer roles, but there are also fewer of us to do them. So, mm. um, I don't know. I, every time I, I have a dry spell and of course I have a dry spell cause yeah. that's, it's the cyclical nature of it. I'm like, Oh, I'm never going to work again, whatever. But then, you know, as soon as you stop wanting something, that's when the next thing happens, right? So yeah. when, when you stop looking directly at this thing, but trying to, you're kind of like glancing at things sideways, suddenly that everybody's like, oh, he's not desperate. He must, uh, must that might be interesting, right? Mm -hmm. So <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I think I'll hold on to my card for a, a while longer. Um, yeah, I mean, at this point, you know, the, the business side of it looks, you you know, you look, you start to be, I'm closer to retirement than not. Right. And I'm like, well, a, I never want to retire from acting necessarily, but I can co start collecting at some point sooner rather than later. And there's starting to be enough in that pension that I don't want to, you know, give it up. And I don't know exactly what the rules are, but I also, there, there's a certain sense of like any company that can't afford, um, an equity contract for me, I'm not sure I want to go do you know i mean my, I've, I've done the the experience where i seek out a theater company i'm like okay well how about i make a donation in the size of what you have to pay for health and pension on the back end and then you hire me to do the show mm -hmm. right and uh you know in in that kind of company usually the first certainly the first four or five actors in the cast are pretty good but beyond that if it's a bigger cast, then it becomes like, who's willing to be part of this, right? Yeah. And, it, yeah. and, it, and, it, and it tails off rather quickly and the results are uneven at best. So um, I, I don't know, I, I guess I'm, I'm not ready to let it go. And certainly that part of that is pride, but part of that is also like, I, I, I don't know, I, I get to work often enough that I haven't to, had to make that calculation yet. I imagine I will. We all will at some point, but uh, we'll see. Yeah. No, I can. I can. One of the things that you were talking about is like you've been able to like get enough work to make it worth your while. Um, but I, and we're talking about if we stick around long enough, the rule the, there'll be roles and people that we know and opportunities will develop. But one of the things that I've been so excited to see over the last year or so is like we've been focusing more and more on the artist's abilities. 
once they get on the stage. And like I've made the references to meritocracy, and while we're definitely not there yet, I feel like we're seeing that shift. So like the quality of artists is still gonna get work as they move forward. I can totally see what you're saying there. Yeah, I mean, we well, I think theater companies are trying to both reflect um, a new cultural sensibility and also drive a new sen cultural sensibility, right? That is our job to both hold the mirror up, but also to move the conversation forward. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I, I talked to friends of mine who are, you know, the old white dudes and we're like, well, where does that leave us? Because that leaves us with fewer jobs. As I say, that's appropriate. And what do we do? So some of us are, you know, I do some teaching, others of us do some more directing, maybe. Um, all of us, I think, are are adapting. And I actually feel in some ways better placed than some guys I know who are sort of more alpha guys who need to run the room. I mean, that's not yeah. that's not me. I'm 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 ready to go. What's your idea? Okay, great. That sounds like a great idea. I totally can get behind that. I don't it doesn't have to be my idea. Yeah. That is the most important thing. And I, I think that serves us all when we make collaborative work, which is what theater is. And I think it uh, I think it's important to put the play first. And I, I don't know that we always all do that. And I, I think I'm pretty good about doing that. So, yeah, um, I hope it serves. We'll see. You know, you, knock on you wood. mentioned <laughs> some of the <laughs> some of the avenues that other artists take right now, directing, teaching. Do mm. you feel satisfied in the same way as performing as you do when you teach maybe that feels different like you'll notice a, that same feeling at the end of a semester or something like that like how is that itch still scratched for you that that not was... as well ah. not as well i mean it's everything else is less sam we wouldn't do this thing for, that we do for almost no money for the amount of stress for the amount of if it weren't like this amazing high when you are getting to do it. You are yeah. getting to do the thing you feel like you were meant to do. Everything else is a means to keep yourself in the game so that sooner or later you'll get to do that thing again, right? Like I, I, I schedule my teaching schedule around when I know certain um, uh, theater companies have their rehearsals so that I won't be in conflict with them should they choose to hire me. You know what I mean? It's a, yeah. it's, um, it, teaching is something I really enjoy. Don't get me wrong, but it's, and my students hear me say this on day one, it's not the same. It's not my first love. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, but that's a great point, especially when you pass it along to your kids. I mean, there's, there's a passion that needs to be, behind you when you step into this ring of pursuing a career in the arts? I think so. I, I think you have to have a, yeah, you, you, well, I mean, I tell this to all my students, if you can be happy doing something else, do something else. Like this is not a, is not a career where it's easy and there are easy low hanging fruit. There's, there's none. It, mm. You know, I, I remember being in New York and going to a, reading the description of this character they're casting for this soap opera um i think it was guiding light 
at the time. And I was like, oh my God, that's me. How can they cast anybody else? I'm totally going to get a job on a soap opera. And I get to the building and I'm standing on the sidewalk and there are 300 guys who look just like me. And I was like, oh yeah, you're not unique. And it's not going to be as easy as you want it to be. You know, it's just, it's not. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> With this great foundation that we've already started, I want to, I want to touch on where your passion came from. How did theater happen to you, Josh? Well, I grew up in central Ohio out in farm country and there wasn't much opportunity. Um, my parents, uh, my father's a scientist, mm. so wasn't really thinking a whole lot about that anyway. But my mother's a daughter of a diplomat and was very interested in our cultural lives. And so she was always taking us to plays in Columbus or to see, you know, the summer musical out in the park there or something like that. And um, so I grew up going to the theater. Um, you know, my high school is like a lot of high schools where there was one play a year in the spring and it was probably a musical. And so, you know, I was in South Pacific and Snoopy, the musical and what else? No, no, Nanette. Uh, the fourth one is escaping me. I don't know. Um, and then I found a community theater in the big town, which was what, 15,000 people or something. So started uh, doing that in the summers when I was in college. But it really, the bug really bit when I was in college and I was deeply unhappy. And I was like, why am I unhappy right now? Oh, it's because I'm not in a show. Right. And so from then on in my college experience, I did all the classes I was supposed to do. And I pursued a show every semester and was that's what that's where I found my joy and so after college I was like well I want to I want to do this thing and my professor was like don't go to New York too big it will eat you so we I went to Chicago um where there was a lot of non-equity theater and I got a job with this touring children's theater company and me and my acting partner toured around the Midwest in our van and set up shop in various schools and libraries and whatnot and did our our show and um that was that was sort of my taste of being a working actor and negotiating contracts. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is I can do this. And then um, while I was in Chicago, um, I um, Yale Drama School holds auditions in three cities across the country every year in New York and Chicago and um, San Francisco. And I went to the one in Chicago and I think I was running a fever of like a hundred and three at the time, but, um, I got put on the wait list and then, you know, the theater world is so small. Um, I think something like 1100 people audition for Yale every year and they take 17, right? So it's a, it's a crapshoot anyway, but usually Yale takes one person straight from their undergraduate program into their grad school. The year I wanted to go to Yale, that guy decided he'd rather go to NYU. And so I got his spot cause I looked like him. You know, and my, <laughs> I just, okay, great. I feel like my life as an actor has been a number of situations like that where I'm not the first choice actor, but then when people are like, oh, who do we, what can we, who can we get to fill in? Then I get, that's when I get to step in. And, and I think a lot of people get their first job in any career that way, right? You're, you don't step into a job 
they're not hiring because things are working well. They're hiring because it's a crap show and they need somebody to come sort things out. So, yeah. you know, it's just, that's, I, I've had a lot of jobs like that where I wasn't the first choice, but ultimately it ended up being a, a, a really good um, uh, circumstance for me. So, Absolutely, yeah. I, yeah, I could totally get what you're saying there. A lot of my early work came because I was like, the only minority people knew. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. This Navajo Irish guy can play Othello, can't he? Yeah. Sure. He sure. In our yeah. production? Yeah. yeah. We're we're only performing it in this this auditorium that also doubles as a nude yoga space <laughs> every Monday night. Yeah. Um, by the way, that was an interesting industry night, I'll say that. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. No, I re- that that reminds me of the show at Curious. Um, when I did all the way there, I came on as an understudy, um, and, you know, not all the way, sorry. Um, oh, what's the locker room play? Oh my God. Well, I have my resume in front of me so I can look at these things. Hold on. Take me out. That's what it's called. Um, which takes place in basically in a locker room and all the guys have to be naked. And I remember going on and as an understudy, I didn't really get much rehearsal. I had to sit up in the balcony, learn the lines. And then I got one tech rehearsal and I like, okay, so great. So my, I'm playing the racist homophobic pitcher, relief pitcher, and I'm in the shower doing my pregame ritual, whatever. And then in the tech rehearsal, the water goes off. And so then my, my illusion of like, I'm, taking a shower or whatever just goes away and suddenly I'm naked on stage, like waving out at the audience at the producer, like, hi, can you turn the water on again? I'm having trouble suspending my disbelief. So (laughs) yeah, that it's just awkward every time. But um, that was a fun show. That was, that was the show where I had to do a quick change from that shower scene into a fully, a full baseball uniform in 30 seconds backstage. So like, I had to have all the clothes sort of laid out, you know, backstage and run out and jump into everything wet, which was not a great experience. But, oh, <laughs> but I was happened. just going to ask. So, like, yeah, no. Did you have time to dry off? No, nope. not not really. <laughs> you had a team of four people holding open the pants and you literally leapt. <laughs> yeah, well, the pants. sort of. Yeah. Um, not not four people, but <laughs> right. we, we won't go into the the the, the minutia. Of yeah, the exactly. Change. I think yeah, it's it's all in my brain. But and it's the other the here. other point I was going to make about that show is that was the first show after my wife Colleen got her job at CU at the law school, and she was like, "Oh, I'll invite all my colleagues to come see Josh in a play." And then she got there and was like, "Oh, by the way, he's going to be naked in this play." Is that a? <laughs> I was like, after the show, I'm like, "Hi." I guess you know me better yeah. than I know you at this point. Biblically, in a sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, random question that just came into my main, my brain. Did you think of what your relief pitcher's go-to pitch was? Was it the fastball, off-speed? Um, I No, it was always a fastball, and it was always high and inside. Nice. That, like was, that was his, yeah. Like, he was like, get off my plate. Like, yeah. he was... He was a jerk. So the Mets had this relief. No, was it? Maybe the Braves had this relief John Rocker. Pitcher, John Rocker. And that's who this character was. So I was like, oh, yeah, got to grow my mullet. Got to be ready to play, you know. So, yeah, that was he What's was your, a piece of work. <laughs> would you come when that character comes out of the, the bullpen? What music is playing in the stadium? 
Ah, uh, the walk-up song. I mean, something like, uh, I don't know. It's a big, it's an 80s hair band of some stripe, and I'm not sure exactly. I mean, Sweet Home Alabama is not wrong, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. There you go. Yeah. I support that. <laughs> so you're yeah, in Chicago. Uh, and we're yeah. backtrack a little bit. You're in mm -hmm. Chicago, and then you talked about time being spent in New York. At what point did you, did, was it Chicago to New York? I went to, from Chicago to New Haven, where I was in grad school at Yale for three years, That's and right. then went to New York after that. Uh, and everybody in New York was like, look, you're going to labor in obscurity in New York for five years before you pop. Well, I, I left New York after four, so mm. I have no idea if I'd have popped or not. I mean, everybody wants to have popped. I definitely had my chances. I think the thing you don't realize as a young actor, which I'm always trying to tell my students is, you cannot not work as hard as you can because someone will have and you are not unique whatever you bring to the table other people will bring too and they will have worked harder and they will get the job mm. and that is certainly true of my experience in new york i mean i had i had good i had representation i got had some good auditions i went in for you know, Black Hawk Down and for the part of Faramir and Lord of the Rings, like I, I had good auditions, but I, I wasn't, I didn't prepare hard enough. And so I didn't pop in those four years. And then 9-11 happened and I had a new baby and Colleen was like, I'm done following you around. I want to try something else. So we visited her brother out here one summer and she's like, I want to move to Denver. And I was like, okay, well, I'm kind of the lottery ticket and you're kind of the meal ticket. So if you can get a job, I'll go to Denver. Yeah. And my wife is an extremely effective person. So three weeks later, she had a job. And by the end of the summer, we were out here. And I was like, oh, I'll have to do something else. But it turns out, you know, there is a little bit of cachet having come from New York. And then I just started working. And, you know, you, this is a town that unlike New York, you can't be a jerk and just audition well. You you have to be a good person because you it's it's too small and everybody knows you and word gets around if you're a jerk. So that suits me pretty well. Uh, I'm not a particularly flashy auditioner. Um, yeah, you leave the sequins at home, I hear. Yeah, I don't <laughs> sequins. Yeah, I, I leave those for my in my craft box for my mask making day for my theater preach class. But nice. yeah, no, it's a. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, you know, it's very easy to second guess one's career and wish one were different or had a different skill set. But I don't wish I was a different kind of person. I've I worked with the, there are theater companies here that hire a mix of people, local and people from New York. And, you know, my experience of the people from New York is they're not as invested in the show or the community or what's going on because it's not theirs you know it's just a job and you can tell and sometimes because they don't care they can misbehave and i've mm -hmm. definitely worked with people losing their minds and i'm like wow you wouldn't do that if you had to you know live here <laughs> you know it's yeah. uh, don't don't crap where you eat is the phrase that comes to mind and, and they clearly thought they didn't really have to eat here very often so yeah um, <laughs> Talk about the hard work that has to go into that. What in your mind does that break down to? If like you had bullet points, like what are the things you, you tell your students to focus on? 
That's a great question, Sam. And I think it it's a number of things. Um, one is just about the number of repetitions you get of any given thing you're given. Say I'm given a callback side and I'm told I'm going to go in for an audition in a week. Yeah. I, in New York, I might not have looked at that every day during that week. That's, that's a mistake. Like you need to be looking and reading over the thing every day and sleeping on it every day because your brain does a lot of the work for you when you're asleep, if you feed it constantly. Right. And it doesn't have to be a lot every day, but you have to hit it every day so that when you are sleeping, it's in there. Right. And so, um, it, if it's less than three pages, you should be off book. If you have that much time, there's just, you should be off book. Um, and you should have multiple, you should have made multiple choices about what, it, what are ways to play it so that when you come in and you give it your choice one and they inevitably say, Oh, what if we try it a different way? You don't go, uh, there's a different way, right? You know what I mean? Like you have to come in and then whatever adjustment they give you, you listen as hard as you can and you sort of do that. You, you try to lean into that, but you also have a strong second choice prepared that is very different than your first choice so that you are, you know, ready to go. Um, because in a callback, you know, a callback feels like a rehearsal. I love getting to the callback phase. The initial auditions are so artificial and weird, but, um, but you know that they are trying to establish two things. Is this guy a jerk and can, can he take direction? Right. And so as an actor in an audition room, you have to listen as hard as you can and to, to grok what they are trying to say with whatever nonsensical direction they will give you because they don't know like directors are people they're like that's clearly not a choice that someone is ever going to make in the play they just want to see if you can do something different don't judge it fulfill it right mm. don't 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 judge don't try to argue about the rightness of the choice they've given you fulfill it yeah. um, i think that's that's a really key thing in any process like it is not our job to argue about the rightness of a director's direction it is our job to fulfill it as best we can. And if the director is worth their salt, they will recognize if they've made a bad choice and give you something else to try. And if they can't do that, then you won't work with them again. And there are definitely directors. I'm like, Ooh, never going to work with that person again. I'm not auditioning for them again because they don't get it. Right. So, um, that's sort of, a long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> oh no, it's it's great though. I think you're absolutely right. I, uh, I mean, one of the things that I constantly am working through on this podcast is, and I've really had to face in the last month because I'm once again going to focus primarily on making my living through the arts. And mm. the last time I tried to do that, I had an audition, my follow-up audition at the Arvada Center after we did Godot and I screwed the pooch and my biggest, yeah, my biggest career regret was the fact that I didn't take the time. I didn't study and it was obvious mm -hmm. and you know, I got the requisite note that I needed, but at that point in time, they were not going to cast me because I made mm. such a blunder and it's, 
for me, as I look back on that time, like I can make excuses like any actor who drops the ball mm -hmm. or direct blame somewhere else. The end of the day, I never put the directors in a position to make that call. They have yeah. to look at the, the skill set. And if your skill set says he didn't read the script, then. Right. Then, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But, uh, yeah. You have to have done your homework. Right. Mm -hmm. For sure. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you have to read the whole play. You can't just read the sides you're given. Um, yeah. Uh, and you, mm, I, I, I try hard to not take any role that I can't find something interesting uh, in. You know, like people are like, I've done the mousetrap twice, which is like one of the oldest war horse plays there is, right? <laughs> and they're like, how can that possibly be interesting? Well, I mean, it's it may be an old time honored play, but it was the first time I had done it, so I didn't know, and I was mm -hmm. interested in it. And then the second time I did it was at Arvada, and it was in a role that I'd watched somebody else do the first time, and was like, "Oh, I have ideas about that. I can't wait till I get a turn." You know, so there's there's always something to be invested in, and I, you know, Jada, we were talking about during American Sun, we sort of had this day on the last, you know, before one of the last performances where I went in there and to say, hey, thank you for having me on this. I think you're a really good director. You know how to talk to actors. You have a vision. And this is, you're someone I'm ready and want to work with again. And, you know, she, she said of me that I was a person who brings my whole self to the project to a role. And I think that's true. And it's something I've, I, at least I've tried very hard to. And I think if you can't, then I'm not sure what business you have um, signing on to a, a role or to a show. Yeah. Um, we, we get to do this thing so seldom that when you do, you got to give it, be ready to give it everything. Yeah. You can't, you can't phone it in. Yeah. There's no part-time roles. That's right. That's right. And regardless of the amount of lines you have or the amount of stage time, um, yeah, it's, we, you have to want to be there and be think, be actively listening. I always thought I talk about actors. I played basketball when I was in high school. So we, um, I use basketball analogies sometimes, but I talk about, you know, moving without the ball. What do you do when you don't have the ball? Mm -hmm. And there are actors who drop, who just stop when they don't have the ball. And then they're not talking. There's not much going on. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, that's, that's something I've always prided myself on is I'm always going to be engaged in wherever the ball is. And I'm always going to be thinking about how that relates to me and have something to say, even though I, my character, I, the actor, know my character doesn't say anything. My character doesn't know that, and he's ready to say something if he gets a chance. Yeah. He just never gets a chance, right? So it's um, acting without the ball. I think is is really important, mm -hmm. particularly for ensemble playing. And I'm not interested in star vehicles. I, I'm interested in ensemble playing. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Why specifically do you feel it's important to pay attention to the, you know, acting without the ball? Like I have my reasons. It feels like you're living in a specific moment 
And if you check out of that moment, the audience then themselves gives themselves permissions to check out as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are creating artists and audience together. We're creating a shared illusion of reality. And if someone checks out and doesn't pay attention, doesn't act without ball, they don't, they're not supporting that illusion anymore. And it makes the experience proportionally less good for everyone else. I mean, you think about the think about the best shows you've seen. Um, it well, I don't know. I I feel like that's the shift that Stanislavski invented his technique to create was this idea that we are not doing star vehicles where you know, the other people check out on stage when the star is pontificating. We are creating ensemble dramas where everybody's arc matters on some level. At least it has to matter to them. And um, I, I just think that's the, you know, that's the basic bar. Are you present or are you not? And if you're not, why are you up there? Why are you, why are you collecting a paycheck? Why are you, you know, that, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Then you're no longer an artist. You're just a bystander. Mm -hmm. You should have just paid for a ticket. Yes, exactly. If you want to watch the play, then go buy a ticket. If you want to be in the play, then invest in the, in the illusion. Yeah. That's yeah. when I, I, I teach middle school and like freshman in high school, like I did an audition course this last summer and I was not pulling punches. This is the first time I'm with these kids and we're doing an audition course. So I'm like, as a guy who's failed in auditions, these are the steps what not to do. And like, you really need to take this stuff seriously because yeah, you're right. Sometimes those first auditions are going to be awkward or whatever. And then you get, but you got to earn the spot on the callback so you mm -hmm. got to take that first audition seriously and it becomes in a lot of ways grimy work mm -hmm. it can be it can be time consuming and it and i feel like to get the most out of it you do have to bring your whole self to it as you were saying it's, yeah you can't half step a, a part like a process a step in the process i should say I think that's right. And I think some actors are fortunate enough to bypass this process. I mean, you and I have a mutual friend um, who never auditions. He just talks to whoever is, you know, the artistic director and has other inroads into a process and then negotiates what part he's going to play. Right. He yeah. doesn't really do that audition sequence. Um, and wouldn't that be nice? Right. I've never had that in my life. I've always auditioned for things. And I and I feel like as a young person, that was a certain amount of pridefulness on my part. Like, I don't want your help. I can get this on my own. Well, that's stupid. You should take as much help from the number, as many people as are willing to help you as you can ever get. Like mm -hmm. you, you don't turn down help in this industry. It is too hard. Right. So um, any favors you say yes. And I'm constantly trying to, I have a, you know, a 19 year old student out at front range right now who I'm trying to sort of, help piece together the next steps because he has something that's really interesting. And I feel like it's my job to help him succeed. And I'd be offended if he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it myself. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah. I think, um, I think we have to take the help when it's offered and, you know, it, and we have to be ready when it's not offered. <laughs> yeah.
That you, it's interesting you bring that up. I was having a conversation yesterday about the getting notes process. Mm. For you and your experience, did you always take it um, like, yes, I need these? Or did that take time to like get comfortable and like getting notes? <laughs> so my, it's interesting. So my, my undergraduate uh, professor was this guy named Paul Moser, who was, he'd been a professional director, sort of itinerant regional theater director, most recently at Indiana Rep. He'd just gotten this job at college, teaching college. It was undergraduates. He clearly didn't want to be there. You know, he'd go, they'd go into the yearly faculty production meeting where people are like, okay, what do you want to do this year? And he would say things like, uh, teach grad school, you know? So uh, <laughs> he, was not, he was not someone who was like effusive in his praise. Basically, if you got nothing from him, that meant you were doing a good job. Yeah. Right. He only gave feedback on things that he wanted changed. Um, I found that super useful. I found that super useful. Uh, I mean, I, I learned more in one rehearsal process with him than I learned in acting three or four different acting classes. I remember going in to a, a sort of starting to understand what an actor does going in and, you know, having been cast and go, okay, well, Paul, what do you want me to do here? And he's like, Josh, I want you to make a choice and then we'll figure out whether it's the right choice or not. I'm not going to sit here and make all your choices for you. Mm. I was like, oh, that's my job. Okay. Okay. Right. And, yeah. I, and I think that's a, you know, because in high schools, theater is kind of an exercise in crowd control often. Mm. Um, I think students are used to being not trusted and being told, where do I move? Where do I sit? Where do I stand? And that's, essentially what direction is and in the professional theater that's ought not to be what a collaborative experience is it should be something where we are the artists who interpret it and the director edits our choices they don't give us our choices um i hate that kind of process where i'm essentially a meat puppet but i'm not interested in that that's you know, i'll go make films if that's what i want to be Right. Mm -hmm. But in the theater, I want to I want to have agency. And so that's. But if you are going to have agency, you have responsibility to that. So you need to have five choices in the can ready to go. Right. I, yeah. I think rehearsal where you spend five days making the same choice in every rehearsal is a waste of time. I think I, t I tell directors up front, look, I'm going to try to do something every different every day for the first two weeks whenever we hit something. And tell me eventually I like choice two with a dash of choices five and six, mm -hmm. you know? Um, um, yeah, I, that I, but it's my job to keep putting choices out there for them to edit. Mm -hmm. that's, that's how I see it anyway. No, I, I love that. Especially from, as you talked about the specific situation with uh, Paul, mm -hmm. that maybe that's, the way he directed that to me seems like, oh, that's definitely like a like an education setting, educational setting. But it's also what the nature of the job ends up being, because we are the instrument. We're the yeah. ones that got to get it tuned, and you can't just always hand yourself over to somebody else to to craft it. There are directors out there who will 
like make every single choice for you and they will even tell you how to say the damn thing. And if that's mm-hmm. how you want to work, there's places and ways to do that. But I feel like as it grows with any other living thing, your agency, as you put it, is a crucial part to the recipe. Yeah. And I, and I guess I would say that one of the points in my favor in terms of why I've continued to get to work here in this community is I've become someone that directors know is not going to be the problem. I'm not going to take a lot of time. I'm not going to require a lot of adjustments mm-hmm. or if I, they give me an adjustment that will be once and then I will get it. They will never have to repeat themselves because every director casts knowing, you know, Oh, I really like that person, but I'm going to need to spend extra time with them in the rehearsal room. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm never, ever going to be that guy ever. I'm never going to be the guy who needs extra time. It's just, I can't afford to be that guy. I'm, I'm not, <laughs> you know, I'm not a, a unique person. You know, I'm a, I'm a sort of, I've always been sort of a, in the middle, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, I mean, I'm a, I'm a white dude of middling height and middling looks and middling, you know, whatever I mean. Like, I feel like sort of middling. So I can't be, I don't have the special thing that no one else has. So I need to be the person that you can count on when you need to be paying most of your attention to something else. Mm. And I think it's why I get called in to be sort of a, a last minute problem solver sometimes on projects. I mean, some of my best success was I did um, King Lear at um, the Shakespeare Festival with Lynn Collins. And, you know, they were two weeks into rehearsal for King Lear and they lost the guy who was playing Edgar. He sort of had some kind of breakdown, decided he wasn't liking Colorado and he left. So then with only 10 hours of rehearsal until tech, they asked me to do the thing. And I said, okay, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what you do. You never go into a job like that within a good situation. Yeah. But um, but I made it I made it work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was some of, one of the most intense experiences of my life, but it was also supremely fulfilling. And I think, you know, I have worked with Lynn a number of times since then and probably wouldn't have if I had dropped the ball in that circumstance, you know, but I didn't, I fulfilled. So that was, I'm pretty proud of that one. Yeah. Um, I do want to push back on one thing, Josh, you are very handsome. (laughs) Well, yeah, I, I I appreciate that. Thank you for saying that. Um, I, I come from a family where the most interesting character, trait you could have was your humbleness right so i am an inherently i try to be an inherently humble guy this is not necessarily a business that that's not a trait that this business rewards it Mm -hmm. rewards people who are good at sort of self-promotion i'm not um and i don't i'm just i don't have a lot of interest or or i'm not very good at it right so um I don't know. I just, that's, that's just never been something that I was like, again, that's a, it's sort of a prideful thing, but I was like, I don't want to get it just cause I'm the cute guy, but of course you want to get the job. Cause you're the cute, you just want the job. Who cares why you've got it. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's, but that's just sort of youthful pride. I, 
you know, whatever. But nobody's cute at age 50 at this point. So it's, it's what it is. <laughs> I would like to take this opportunity to let you every know, everyone know that you are listening to the Ghost Lights podcast with Sam Gilstrap. Me, Sam Gilstrap. All right, Dan, get my entourage out of here, would you? I'll talk to you guys later. All right, everybody, out of the room, out of the room. Yeah, there we go. I roll 20 deep wherever I go. No, anyway. <laughs> I... I I, I, I joke, but I, you, I think you're absolutely right. It, it requires, it, to be in this business, the ability to sometimes be your own manager, your own PR rep. And when that's not who you are, summoning the energy to do that can be extremely taxing. Mm-hmm. And, it, it can, and it can hurt what you put out. And so... Yeah, I don't know about that last piece, but I, I definitely think it is, I find it, really taxing and like and it's interesting a lot of actors i respect are you know as soon as they are out from in front of an audience they're like the most introverted people they could be because that is so has been so exhausting Mm -hmm. to have to be that on all the time that when they don't have to be they're like oh don't talk to me (laughs) you know and i get i totally get that that makes sense i I don't know. The byword for my life has always been balanced. So I'm always trying to figure out what is the balanced path or way of being. Um, and again, this industry doesn't re- necessarily reward balanced people. We want to, we like our rock stars. We like our people who, you know, who flame really brightly. Uh, yeah. And then, and I'm not, I mean, I'm never going to be a movie star. I'm reconciled to that. But if, if I compared myself to one, as we all inevitably do, you know, it's, it's not someone with a really strong flavor. I mean, it's not, I'm not Joaquin Phoenix. I'm not, um, (laughs) Billy Bob Thornton, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's closer to Paul Rudd or to, I don't know. Yeah. Jason. I'm like, uh, sure. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Um, I often get mistaken for Benedict Cumberbatch's older brother. I'm like, oh, thanks, older brother. Awesome. That's great. No, but, you know, how, but of course that's flattering, right? But it, because uh, that guy has a great career. Um, you know, I, I don't really see how you do this business without a sort of sense of envy about some people, but, um, uh, but you also have to know, be confident enough in your own, yeah. whatever it is that you think you're good at. You so. still love yours. I think that's what's clear about what you've been talking about the last couple of minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm really happy with the things, the projects I've gotten to do. I've had some, <laughs> I've had some interesting and heart-stopping experiences, and uh, and worked with some directors who, who are really value added. Not every director is. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, I would suggest most are not. Most are competent managers of a process. And some are both that and artists and value added. And those are the folks that we want to be lucky enough to work with. And there aren't a lot of those. And I feel fortunate to have worked with a number of them. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting path. <laughs> Before we start to transition to get out of here, I have mm-hmm. I had the great fortune of being Pazzo to your lucky. That was so fun. Yeah. And, <laughs> And I've the one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, and I'm if 
you can talk a little bit more specifically about the getting to the monologue. Mm. And will you explain in some detail what that process was like for you? That was, a, and the reason why I ask is it was presented to me when I was in college and it was, it scared the hell out of me looking at it on the page. And when we were in the first read and at table work, looking at it and hearing what you were saying, it scared the hell out of me. It, it takes a great deal of courage. And I know there was a whole process. Like I said, I sat mm-hmm. there for it, but what was it for you? Oh, I mean, it's all that for sure. I mean, it's, it's one of those, you know, because it's not just a monologue, right? Like I always hear it referred to as Lucky's tirade. Like it's a, and it really is that. It's this sort of stream of consciousness on the page. It's three whole pages of seeming non sequiturs, right? So how do you, and rep repeated thoughts and repeated fragments of thoughts? And how do you, how do you find your way through that? And so, you know, um, we talked a little bit about sort of what you can find in that tirade of the themes that lucky is getting at and in various sections of it it seems to be about slightly different themes so you can sort of latch onto that as your initial basic structure Mm -hmm. and then and then within that within the smaller chunks once you've chunked it in that way you can find the repeated thoughts and lucky is doing the thing that we all do which is try to get to the right word no to the correct word no to the perfect word right Uh, and it and it's that it's that process of like what is the thing i really mean to say and uh and you know lucky like donald trump can never actually quite place his get that word so he you know what i mean like mm-hmm. so it just um he's he's he never finishes a thought because yeah. he's always as soon as he's almost there then suddenly his focus shifts or there's a parenthetical thought that happens or um and it was interesting in our production because it, ours was sort of a busier production i think than many productions of waiting for godot are you know we had a stage with lots of stuff on it um there was a fair amount of movement, right? And and many productions of Godot are like one tree and that's it, right? Yeah. So ours was already sort of a, a slightly more frenetic Godot maybe than you'll see. And so to match that, you know, I was running all over the theater and I was climbing over audience members and I was leaping onto the stage and I was climbing walls. And so, you know, you as we think about how do we memorize things? Obviously, kinesthetic memory is really important. So you can go, okay, well, this is the section I do when I'm climbing the wall, or this is the section I do as I'm climbing over people's laps in the audience. Um, Or this is the sporting goods section, or this Mm. is the, you know what I mean? Like I had made up little names for myself of all the little different beats in it. Um, Would you see that the page in your brain as you were going for it? Initially, and I think we all do when we are, um, and I think that actually is the transition for actors that you have to make happen. And the sooner in a process you can make happen where you stop seeing the page, 
the better your process will be. For American Son, I started rehearsing, memorizing lines two months ahead of time so that I could walk into the first day of rehearsal and not have to have that page in my mind's eye. Right. Yeah. So, and I, you know, I, I'm not sure I did that with Lucky, um, but Arvada is nice in their rep schedule in that you get more days between rehearsals while other shows are rehearsing. So, you know, I had more time to get it in my brain. So it didn't have to be in my mind's eye. The page didn't have to be in my mind's eye. I started, it started to be more of a, like a topic based speech for me and less about where am I on the page? Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think is fair. Nice. But it was exhausting. Like by the time I fell face down at the end of that tirade, I was ready to not get up again for a while. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> oh yeah. man. That was yeah. it was an absolute joy to like sit and watch all that unfold. But I didn't I didn't do a lot of sitting in the moment, but like having that yeah. be a part of that was really cool because well like I, I thought that whole rehearsal process was an interesting one to, yeah. that we you know and i thought jeff did a nice job in terms of running the room and in, in that he like the directors i really like makes it clear that he doesn't have all the answers um but he has a sense of direction yeah. you know like he's the captain of the ship he knows where the ship is going and he can't get there without you and your input. And that's ultimately what we want in a director, right? Yeah. We don't want a director with all the answers. We want a director who needs us, but we also don't want a director who's flailing and being like, I don't know what to do. What do mm -hmm. you think? Right? Like yeah. we, and so that balance is hard to strike. And I thought he did a nice job of that. And, you know, of course, um, Sam Gregory and Tim McCracken were wonderful as, uh, Dee Dee and Gogo. And I yeah. thought your Pazzo was interesting and quirky and like, brash in a wonderful way um yeah it, I, there were a lot of good things about that show I, I i it's a strong taste waiting for godot and not for everybody as our nightly walkouts made clear but uh yeah. but but that's okay uh, it, the worst reaction to theater you can get is meh right mm. um i i did a i did a play and was grossly miscast as this character monster in a Susan Laurie Parks play, uh, fucking a, mm -hmm. and I can remember my favorite review of that was David Marlowe's. And the, the headline was like, fucking a fucking F right. <laughs> you know, he hated it, but at least we, he felt something about it. Right. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't go home and go, eh, and happened. just forget about it. So <laughs> great. <laughs> right. I think we got the note that if we didn't have somebody leave, we weren't doing our jobs. That's right. That's yeah. right. We wouldn't be doing the play. Mm -mm. We wouldn't be doing the play correctly. We'd have created, you know, just another vaudeville. And that's not what Godot is. It's more than that. It's deeper yeah. than that. It, it's harder than that. And so I think we got at least a piece of that. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. When we get to this stage of the podcast, Josh, I always ask my guests, what's that ghost light that they would leave on for the next generation? Um, you as a teacher probably have a different perspective on this, but what is that piece of advice you wish you had when you got started that you'd hand on to somebody else? Well, I mean, I think we've, we've touched on a little bit in this sense of yeah. if you can ask yourself, could I have worked any harder? And the answer is yes, you're not going to get the job. So that's one. Mm -hmm. But the other thing I would say is as an actor, the kind of moment I'm always trying to create is what I call a pay for it moment where it's you are you need to do something to the other character that is out of bounds that is more than 
it needs to be so that then you have to pay for it, what you've just done. You've been too mean or you've been too vulnerable or you've been too vicious or you've been, you know, whatever you've been, you've been too much of. And so then you have to scramble to, to get them back, right? Because that pay for it moment where a person, a character is sort of on caught wrong footed and is, is trying to, is talking a little faster than they normally do to try to keep the person in the room with them. Yeah. That's interesting. That's so trying to create those pay for it moments. Um, I think is, is worth doing as a, as a young actor. That's perfect. I'm actually writing that down right now. I, I want to remember <laughs> that pay for it moment. Yeah. For a moment. It's I'm, as I told you, I was going over the script for my next project today and I, I get a really get to be a really fun character in that piece. And I, you saying that I go like, where would mine be? And I just came to me. So I appreciate that. Definitely. Yeah. I'm taking awesome. a little insider trading. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what this should be about. I love yeah. conversations like these, Sam, this is a, yeah. a really cool thing that you're doing. And I I'm really happy that I finally get to be here with you. Oh man. Yeah. It really means a lot. I appreciate it, Josh. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, Ghosties. Once again, the actor is Josh Robinson. He is a teacher at the front range community college. What are the courses that you teach there? I teach acting one, uh, theater appreciation, and intro to film art. That's right. And he is one of the best actors I've had the chance to get to work with, both as a person and as an artist that cares about the craft. This is episode 85 of the Ghost Lights podcast. Dan, do the damn thing. I just I put the stuff out there. It's it's my guest podcast. It's them doing it. So that was amazing. It was cool. Well, it's not. I mean, you are also you know I, I I read the newspaper. You're one of those people to watch, partly because you and Dan put this podcast together. So that's clearly something that matters and and a gift that you are giving to this community. So I I really appreciate that. It's awesome. Thank you, man. Appreciate yeah. you. Thank you.